Welcome into this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill. As always, a busy day. If you're listening to this, uh, by the time you're listening to this, Ohio State will already have signed uh, many of its members of its recruiting class of 2021 because it's early signing day. But the weird thing this year is it's also Big Ten Championship game week. It, there's a basketball game tonight. It's it's just a busy day in Ohio State sports, Colin. Yeah, it's funny because like we, uh, you know, normally all of these things are you know one off one offs essentially, which is you know there's a basketball game during the night, you know, or a basketball game during the day, like a big one against UNC, like that'll that'll take precedent. If there's you know Big Ten awards, that'll take precedent. There's just so much happening this week, and at the end of the day, like. I think that at least on the football side, we have an idea of how this will all go. Like Ohio State's going to sign an awesome class. Ohio State's a three touchdown favorite to beat Northwestern. And Ohio State is currently, as of today, as we record on Tuesday, Ohio State just won uh, multiple. They they won Offensive Player of the Year award, Offensive uh, Lineman of the Year, Quarterback of the Year. Nine of their offensive players won all Big Ten teams. So as much as there's happening, it feels like at the same time, like, it's just like none of it's a surprise. It's just like Ohio State is taking care of business as usual. Yeah, there's a lot of things to be happy about, to feel good about uh, today, this week, if you're an Ohio State fan. And uh, we're going to get to a little bit of talk about uh, this recruiting class a little later in the show. We're going to bring in our recruiting analyst, Zach Carpenter, uh, to get some of his thoughts on the class that uh, either has been signed or will be signed soon as, you, as you're listening today, as Colin mentioned Uh, This was recorded on Tuesday, uh, so we're going to assume that on Wednesday, Ohio State has signed all of the 21 players it's expected to sign. Uh, But we'll start by talking a little bit about Big Ten Championship game, which is uh, this week, uh, an eventful week, of course, uh, leading up to ultimately uh, college football playoff selection on Sunday. And We'll talk a little bit about that as well, though I, I don't really see a lot of drama there at this point. I think uh, I think if Ohio State wins this weekend, it, it's going to be in the college football playoff. And I think as I look at this weekend's game, I, I don't know that I really see a lot of drama there either. I mean, it's the Big Ten Championship game. Northwestern is a good team. Uh, they're 6-1 and one this year. But when I look at this matchup, I just think it's a really favorable matchup for Ohio State because – this is a Northwestern team that it wins games by keeping the score low. If if you look at how it's won games this year, it has the second best scoring defense in the country, but it hasn't scored more than 28 points in any of its last six games. And it also hasn't faced an offense like Ohio state. I just don't think Northwestern is going to be able to limit Ohio state's offense the way it's been able to limit other teams. And if it can't do that, I don't think Northwestern has the offense to to be able to really make this a game. In other words, it's been a week since we recorded our last podcast. And, and in that podcast, we gave our first impressions. And our first impressions were this game ain't going to be close. And we had a week to digest it. And we're like, yep, no, came to the same conclusion. This thing's not going to be close. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it should be. I mean, it's, you know. if it, and- it, I'll put it this way. If it's close – I think Ohio State probably gets in, but I would have concerns because something went wrong along the way if this is close. I mean, the the way this sets up is, to me, it's a little similar to the Michigan State game, which is this team is solid. It's obviously better than Michigan State, 
but what it does well is not how Ohio State's going to get beat. I mean, Ohio State, say it a million times, Ohio State will get beat if it gets beat by a team with a really good offense, with a high-flying, prolific passing offense. That's the number one thing. You have to be able to pass the ball against Ohio State because clearly that's Ohio State's weakness. And then on the other side of the ball, there's you got to figure out a way to, to make Justin Fields uncomfortable and, and get him out of his rhythm, turn the ball over. And, you know, maybe Northwestern can, can try to do that a little bit. Um, but, you know, the way I see it is you got to have both sides of the ball. And if they're not going to be able to score on, on Ohio State, that, that's where I just don't, I don't really see how this thing's going to be really close. Like if I were looking like what's, what's a worst case scenario for the Buckeyes? It's sort of the Indiana game, but you're obviously you, you can't really you can't expect Peyton Ramsey to go full Michael Penix. I mean, there's a reason why Peyton Ramsey transferred out of Indiana. He's not Michael Penix. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Indiana game, you know, I mean, that really, you know, the formula there, the only game that's actually been close for Ohio State this season was they were able to take advantage of a shaky secondary and they were able to force turnovers yep. and Northwestern can do that. And I think they have to do that. And they know they have to do that. I mean, North, yeah. that is one thing that stands out. I mean, they are second in the country in interceptions per game. Number one is Indiana. So I, I don't overlook that threat. We don't see Justin Fields throw interceptions often, but this is a team that's good at that. So you, you do have to be careful. You, you can't make mistakes that could allow Northwestern to stay in this game because that's how they win. And that, that, that's the type of team Northwestern is. It's it's not the type of team that's going to just out-talent you, but it's a team that wins by playing smart football, by being opportunistic, by by winning the turnover battle and, and taking advantage of those opportunities. So to me, I think, you know, if, if you're Ohio State, you can't make those kind of mistakes that keep Northwestern in the game. And I think if you don't, you should be able to win comfortably because – you know, like you said, Peyton Ramsey is not Michael Penix. I mean, Northwestern's, I mean, if you, if you, you think about the big plays that Indiana had against Ohio state's pass defense, Northwestern hasn't had a single passing play of over 40 yards this year. They've only had two of over 30 yards. So this is not a, a dangerous passing offense and, you know, Northwestern, I, I know they ran for over 400 yards against Illinois next week. I don't think that's going to happen against Ohio State. And even if you look at their free games before that, they had been held under 100 yards in, in three straight games running the ball before the Illinois game. So I, I don't think that's going to translate over this week. And I think if Ohio, if, if, if Ohio State can make this a game, you know, the, the thing that allowed Indiana to make it a game and the thing that could certainly allow college football playoff teams to have a chance to beat Ohio State is – Ohio State forced Indiana to beat them through the air, and Indiana did it. They, 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 all, they almost won the game because they were able to beat them through the air. But if you force Northwestern to beat you by making plays through the air, Northwestern's not going to win this game because they, they just don't – you know, Peyton Ramsey's better than the mess they had at quarterback last year, but this still is a, a very mediocre Northwestern offense. So if Ohio State can just score – the way it's been able to score all year, I think this should be a comfortable Ohio State win. Now, your stat of them not having a, a 40-plus yard pass is hilarious when you look at the context, which is there are only two other schools that are tied with them and that haven't thrown a 40-yard pass, and that's Massachusetts, which has played four games, and Utah, which has played four games. Northwestern's played seven games. They still don't have any. Like, that's, that's nuts to me. Um, and also, not really surprising, but 
you know, to go back to a point that you made just a little bit ago, and I think it's worth at least digging in on for a sec because it's one of the reasons why I have so much confidence in Ohio State is turnovers are a big deal. Like that is that is the number one thing you're going to have to do to slow down Justin Fields is you're going to have to turn him over. But like if you drill down into the Indiana turnovers and, and, and what those Indiana turnovers were, I mean, two of them really were because he got blitzed like crazy and felt like he needed to make some sort of a play and he just made terrible mental mistakes and he admitted to that I don't see Northwestern as being the team that's going to blitz him 100% of the time like to me to me we haven't seen Justin Fields make those kind of mental miscues in a game where he hasn't been blitzed 100% of the time like that's just sort of the way I look at it it's like when is when is Justin Fields messed up that way it's like when teams just send everybody after him I don't really think that Northwestern is going to do that. Yeah, and I think counting on Justin Fields to have another free interception game is not some is not something you can count on to win if you're Northwestern because we've literally seen that from Justin Fields one time in his entire Ohio State career. So I think to expect you know him to make those kind of mistakes again, uh, that's certainly not going to be a, a formula that you can go into uh, counting on if you're an opponent. No. And uh, is there, what is like, is there anything that concerns you about this game? Like what could, what could really go wrong other than turnovers and Peyton Ramsey turning into Michael Penix? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just think, I think it's a matchup that bodes really well for, for Ohio state. I mean, I feel like I should say this. I feel like every time we do one of these podcasts that we're like, there's nothing to worry about. Everything's going great. Then bad news happens. So like, maybe we should just stop right there because I I feel like every time we do one of these and we like forget about the fact that like, Hey, COVID's still a thing. And, and, and that could cause a problem, but something happens. So like, there's always that at the back of my mind at at this point, but you just never know what's going to happen. But between now and Saturday and, you know, I mean, I, you know, I think this is a Northwestern team that, you know, knows how to win football games. I think it's a team that, uh, you know, I think it's a team that's going to be, you know, really motivated. I mean, even though they're not playing for a college football playoff spot like Ohio State, you know, I mean, you look at this as a team that, you know, they were they were in this spot two years ago. I think they they don't want this to just be a repeat of two years ago. You know, their defensive coordinator, he's about to retire. So I'm sure uh, they've really liked to send him out on top. I just, I just, I think, you know, the, the talent disparity might be too great in this one. And, you know, Ohio state's got an awful lot to play for here. And, you know, I mean, I don't know what I really buy. Like when, when the players and coaches are saying like, they're not worried about style points and all that. I don't know what I really buy that. I think, honestly, I think they'd, they'd love to go out there and have a, a 2014 Wisconsin kind of game and, and really blow Northwestern out. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think they'd probably love to do that and really make a statement uh, to the college football playoff committee that yes, we are one of the four best teams in the country. I don't know if they have to, but I I think they'd probably like to do it. And I don't, I don't think it would hurt. And, you know, the good news is again, with the caveat that anything can change at any time, you know, we saw this team, you know, have a dominant performance against Michigan state without some key players, but Ohio State's supposed to have those guys back. I mean, it, 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 as long as nothing goes wrong here in the next few days, Ohio State should be at pretty much full strength in this game. So I, I think this is the time that you want to see Ohio State really be firing on full cylinders. You know, I think 
you know, if you're worried about the secondary and, you know, we got another question about that this week, I don't think Northwestern is going to really test you there. I think we're not going to know about that secondary un- until we see Ohio state potentially play in a college football playoff game. But, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't think Northwestern is built to take advantage of Ohio state's weaknesses. And I, I also don't think it's built well enough to stop Ohio state's strengths. You know, I, I think, I think Northwestern's defense is good, but I also think Northwestern has played a lot of teams that just don't have offenses that compare in any way to how explosive Ohio state is. Mentioned, you know, we have a question about the second year. I think it is worth digging into because it's a good question and it's fairly simple, which is, do we expect any to see any changes in the secondary? And I think that that's, you know, it's an interesting question because if if this season played out as normal and we got to see the Maryland, Illinois, and Michigan games, like one, on one hand, like Maryland has a decent enough passing offense that we probably would have learned something. But on the other hand, you know, Illinois and Michigan would have been an opportunity to test some things out to, to see what really worked. And it's funny that you put Michigan in the Illinois category, but I guess that's where we are in the in the state of the rivalry. But without that, we're essentially asking, like, will they make any changes to the secondary in the Big Ten championship game? And while on one hand that sounds a little crazy, you know, on the other, like, it is important because, you know, they, they have been practicing. Like, they have been doing stuff in practice that would hypothetically allow them to, you know, test some things out and, and, and see what works and, and maybe implement that into a game. So, like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be, like, completely shocked if there's something new, but I also don't really know if there's time to do that. Yeah, it's a hard balance because it's, like, on one hand – I don't think you need to make big changes to your secondary to stop Northwestern. And I think to some extent it would be a risk to make changes that you don't need to make when you really just need to win the game. But at at the same time, you know, this is, this is your last chance. This is your, if you're going to test something out, this is your last chance to do it before potentially playing in a college ball playoff. So, you know, I think that's a tough balance to strike if you're Ohio state is, you know, do you really want, you know, can you really afford to go into a big 10 championship game thinking we need to test something out to see if it'll work against a Clemson or Alabama when, you know, we're playing a team that has nowhere near the same kind of passing offense anyway. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know if you necessarily want, to go that route, but you know, I, I still think it's possible. We see some changes just because of the fact that, I mean, this team has played basically one game in a month here. Like we, 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 we this team has played so little that we know there's things they're working on in, in practice that they just haven't, you know, really had a chance to put on a field yet. And, and so, you know, I am interested to see, you know, I'm interested to see, you know, does someone like a Ronnie Hickman, who we saw play more when Josh Proctor was out. Is he still a factor when Josh Proctor comes back? Um, you know, now that Josh Proctor is back, are, are, are there changes that, you know, maybe Ohio state will, will make that it couldn't make against Michigan state because he was out. You know, I, I'm interested to see if there's anything. 
I don't know that I really expect anything. And I know, I think the full version of the question, you know, said, you know, do we expect scheme changes, personnel changes, or just nothing and hope it gets better? Uh, or something like, please, God, no, don't let this be it. So uh, I think our questioner uh, is hoping uh, to see some changes this week. I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, it's been such a tough and unusual year, like you mentioned, that, you know, you didn't get those opportunities to really work through things during the regular season that you would typically have. And this is why I go back to when I hear people like Reese Davis saying, oh, this is clearly going to be an advantage for Ohio State that they're fresher. I personally disagree. I personally don't think it's an advantage for Ohio state because sure they're fresher, but I think the fact that they haven't been able to work through some of these issues, particularly in the secondary, I think could come back to bite them in the college football playoff, just because the other teams in the playoff are going to have played a lot more football this year. If you look at the kinds of changes they could make, like I think that there are like probably three that stand out. You know, there's one which is, you know, what if you did replace Marcus Hooker with someone? Like, who would that be? Maybe Josh Proctor. I don't really 100% know who else. Like, that's that's the issue. Is like, I think Marcus Hooker, we would probably both agree, has been the number one guy who we've questioned a little bit. And I think that, you know, Marcus Williamson's right there as well. But I'm not 100% sure of what you do with that because Josh Proctor's been playing a different position. The other guys are basically true freshmen who haven't been thrown in there in that in that respect. And then, you know, the other ones I would look at are, like, are there any young corner who can play at all? Like, like any freshman, like Legend Cavazos, now that he's back, can he play? The obvious issue is that it's like they're in the Big Ten Championship. Like, can you really throw him out there? And then number three, I would just say is like, do you play, you know, more with two safeties on the field? Do you get Marcus Williamson out of there more to, to get Josh Proctor on there? I think that the, I think that, that is probably the one that I lean toward them uh, doing the most like, most likely. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's hard at this point. You know, if you're talking about these guys like these freshmen who have barely played, like I, I just think it's hard at this point. You're in the postseason uh, to to expect those guys to to suddenly play a bigger role. I, I, I think unless COVID or injuries force Ohio State to do that, I don't see that happening. I, I don't see them, like I said, you know, maybe a Ronnie Hickman is a guy who maybe plays a bigger role. But I think these guys who, you know, are true freshmen who really haven't played at all, I, I think it's too late. I think it's just too late to really get those guys uh, involved in a significant capacity. And so I think to some extent, they're going to have to roll with the guys that they've had out there. And, you know, I agree with you. I think, you know, more two safety looks make sense. You know, I think whatever you can do schematically to take a little bit of pressure off those guys uh, is a good thing. And I, and I think against Northwestern, you know, you're going to be able to afford uh, to do some things, but I think, you know, everybody's already uh, worried about the college football playoff, which is uh, understandable because the the thing that the thing that's weird this year is, you know, we, we just talked about how different it's been. I mean, usually like, OK, you go through this week and then you at least know you have like three weeks before you go play like college football playoff is like two weeks away. So it's like, it, it, you know, you're not going to have that like full allotment of bowl practices this year to work through things like you're going to go, you're basically going to have two weeks after, you know, the college ball playoff is selected on Sunday to get ready uh, for whoever you're playing. So it's really not going to be a whole lot more 
than just a game week of prep year. I think it's I think it's reasonable to turn our conversation for a sec to the college football playoff at least because you know by the time we are for the first time since the college football playoff rankings have been released weekly recording before them because nothing's going to change for Ohio State. Ohio State's still going to be number three, um, four, four. Oh, sorry. <laughs> in my head, I, I thought I had the AP poll in my head for I guess the final week, um, but you know as we sit here today, like. What could possibly happen that does not have the Buckeyes in the final field? Ohio State losing. Yeah, I that's mean it. that's yeah, I mean that's sort of where I'm at. I mean now that Florida lost, I, I you know we talk, it, you know it's one of those things where we talk about all these scenarios leading up to it, and then we're a week away from the final poll, and it's like, well, that one scenario that everybody is worried about not possible anymore. Yeah, I mean I think short of Ohio State losing or the game being canceled, like I, I think. I think all Ohio State has to do is win this weekend and it's in because, you know, I I, just, I don't think there's really a whole lot more of it needs to be scrutinized there because to me, there's no candidate to jump Ohio State as long as they win. I mean, you've got Texas A&M behind them who plays an unranked Tennessee this week. Texas A&M is not going to jump Ohio State. Um, you know, you know, I think Ohio and I think Ohio State, as long as it wins, is going to jump whoever loses that Notre Dame Clemson game, you know? So to me, I think the more interesting conversation now is just, you know, what's that if Ohio state beats Northwestern, which we can assume for this conversation, because if Ohio state loses, it's out of a playoff and then none of this is going to matter anyway. So if we assume Ohio state beats Northwestern, Colin, what do you think the top four is going to look like on Sunday? Well, I think that, you know, it's weird because I, you know, the there are two that I actually feel confident, provided things don't go haywire, which things can always go haywire. And one is that Alabama is number one, and number two is Ohio State's number three. And outside of that, I think it just depends on what happens in the ACC title game between Notre Dame and Clemson. But you guys, I think whichever whichever team wins that, I would project is the number two seed, and that's who Ohio State would play and then if you know if Notre Dame if Notre Dame wins obviously they're number two I think that that's where you get interesting of who's that number four team but you know if Clemson wins I think that probably sets up a, a semifinal between Ohio State and Clemson in the two three game which uh, would certainly be fascinating. Yeah, I mean I'm right there with you on that. You know I think the to me this my, my prediction is Alabama wins, Clemson wins, Ohio State wins on Saturday, and I think if that happens it's very simple. Alabama will be one, Clemson will be two, Ohio State will be three, Notre Dame will be four. I think if you're a committee, that's what you want to see happen because it just it makes your job easy and it sets up two really good semifinal matchups and you're going to have the least controversy there. I think if no, if Notre Dame wins, it's interesting because I almost – they won't admit to doing this, but I almost, I feel like if Notre Dame wins, they almost have to move Notre Dame up to number one, because if not, you're going to set up an Alabama, Texas A&M rematch in the semifinals of a game that Alabama blew Texas A&M out, unless you're going to somehow just justify moving Texas A&M over Ohio state, which I don't know how you're going to do that. So you are know, you a hundred percent sure that it would be Texas A&M in that scenario? I'm not a hundred percent sure, 
but I'm not sure who else it would be. Um, you know, cause I, I, you know, Clemson's not getting, I don't think, I don't think a two loss team is getting in period. I, I just don't until I see the committee do that. I don't see them doing it. So I don't see them putting Clemson. I don't, you know, even if Florida upsets Alabama, I know there's some people who think Florida will get in still if it upsets Alabama. I don't think it will. I don't, I don't think they're going to put a two loss team in. Like, like I said, I think the neatest scenario for everybody is Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State winning this week? Because I think then, you know, your field of four is pretty clear. I mean, you're still going to have people who are upset about Ohio State being in because they've only played six games. But that's who. If 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 those three teams win, that's who your four is going to be. Because to me, I think I think Alabama and Notre Dame, I think they're pretty much already in. I think regardless of what happens this weekend, I think they're pretty much already in. And I think Ohio State and Clemson have to win and I think they're both in a position if they win they're definitely in so you know I I think there's a potential for this to be a pretty drama free weekend uh but obviously if if Alabama you know Clemson or Ohio State loses you know then things have the potential to get more interesting yeah I think you're I think you know I think your scenario of Notre Dame leaping Alabama is conceivable but I would I I lean toward that I mean, I certainly lean toward that not happening. I think that I think that it'll be either Notre Dame or Clemson in the semifinal for Ohio State if they get by Northwestern in the fashion that that we expect them to. And you know, once one once Sunday happens, all of a sudden we can we can turn ourselves to uh, the college football playoff, assuming the Buckeyes take care of business on Saturday. So you think the committee would just bite the bullet and do an Alabama Texas A and M rematch if Notre Dame wins? I you know what like. <laughs> I would love to see their justification if they, if, if they decide to, to leap um, if they decide to, to, to uh, leap Alabama with Notre Dame. Um, it's, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, I think, I don't think it should happen. I certainly don't want to say that it won't happen though, because obviously money runs college sport, college sports. And yes, I think there would be more money in, in what's not a rematch. So yeah, you're probably, you're probably right that it's right on the table, but I still, for some reason, think they would keep it. Is it a little bit crazy that Ohio state is about, it, it has a chance to win its four straight big 10 championship this weekend. And it's basically just a formality that they're going to win. Uh, yes. And no, like it's, I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy in the sense of, of what we expect of Ohio state. I think it's maybe a little bit more so crazy in the, the, the state of the rest of the big 10. I think that that's what the commentary is on because if you just look around, like if Indiana, like Indiana is a good team. I think, I think Michael Pence is really good. Like they have veterans all over the, all over the field on both sides of the ball. They're legitimately good. They might not have the highest recruiting ranking in the world. In fact, they're probably closer to the lowest recruiting ranking in the world than the highest recruiting ranking, but that doesn't matter because they're just a really good football team. But if Indiana and Northwestern are the second and third best teams in the big 10, like what is happening? Like that is that I, I don't care how good Tom Allen and Pat Fitzgerald are like what happened to Nebraska, Penn state, Michigan, Michigan state, like all of these other teams should be better than them. And, and they just aren't. So like, yes, it, it is a little bit weird, but, like that's where the Big Ten is right now. I don't think the Big Ten's in a great place. And I think the reality is, I think the gap just got wider today because I think the class that Ohio State just signed 
is once again by far the best in the Big Ten. And I, I think it's just going to keep getting even harder for the rest of this conference to keep up and keep Ohio State from continuing to win the Big Ten championship year in and year out. Yeah, and if you look at it, like I know we're going to bring on Zach Carpenter, recruiting analyst, shortly, but I th- I want to make this point because I think it's I think it's fascinating. Which is, you know, you look around you look around the conference and like JJ McCarthy from Michigan say like that's a big recruit. Like other other schools have had like Raheem Jarrett, bigger recruit for Maryland. Like like there are other schools that have gotten bigger recruits in the past couple of years. What Ohio State's doing right now at quarterback at wide receiver, at defensive end, and at cornerback is they are just bringing in five stars and top 50 prospects annually. And I think that that's the thing that separates them. And like, I don't, I think that this should be talked about more. Like there is an assembly line now at four positions. As long as you have Ryan Day, Brian Hartline, Larry Johnson, and Kerry Combs, you know for a fact you're going to have either the first, second, or third best class in the country at their given position. And you're going to have that every single year. And like, that is like that's just sort of nuts to think about, and I don't think it ends anytime soon as long as they're here. I mean, there's no—I I don't think that there's another school in the Big Ten that has a single quote-unquote assembly line. I think Ohio State is four. Yeah, it's, it's a good place to be in if you're Ohio State, because you know I just look ahead to next year. Like, I, yeah, I think Ohio State's offense is going to take a step back without Justin Fields because I think Justin Fields is an absolute superstar, and you're just not always going to get a Justin Field. I think a guy like that to expect the next guy to be just as good is an almost impossible expectation. But I also don't think it's going to be a huge step back for Ohio State because, you know, they they just signed Kyle McCord, a five-star recruit, in addition to, you know, two other highly touted four-stars that they have in C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller. And so I think you have all three of those guys, you know, chances are pretty good that you're going to still have a good quarterback next year. I mean, you know you're going to have tons of talent to throw to at wide receiver. And like you mentioned, I mean, it's like that all over the field where, you know, you have only a few teams in the country, whether it's Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, you know, Georgia might be up there. There's just only a few teams in college football that are recruiting like this year in and year out. And the reality is none of the other ones are in the Big Ten right now. You know, they're just they're just not there. So, you know, that is going to make it the expectation you know, I, I don't think it should be, you know, overlooked. I don't think it should be cast aside that like, hey, Ohio State has a chance to win four straight Big Ten championships this weekend. Like that's an impressive accomplishment and it should be celebrated. But the reality is that's what people are going to expect you to do every single year at Ohio State because you have so much more talent than everybody else. Yep, which is, uh, that is a that is a good place to leave it. To, to, to go into talking to Zach and, and getting the, the updates on what is happening, um, I guess, today as we drop this podcast on Wednesday. Tomorrow, I guess we're coming to you from the past. All right, we welcome in Zach Carpenter, our recruiting analyst at 11 Warriors, to talk some early signing day. Zach, what are your, just your overall impressions, first of all, on this class that Ohio State has signed? I mean, it is pretty cool. I mean – when we hit that uh, that hot run in March and April where it seemed like Ohio State was getting like every single recruit in the country, every top 100 guy, um, I guess the impressions are it's it's crazy that's finally actually here. And, I mean, when you, when you look at this class top to bottom, I mean, it's easily one of the best 
it's obviously one of the best in the nation. And um, you, you look at it historically. Uh, I mean, well, first of all, when you just look at some of the rankings of these guys, it's probably the best offensive hall in the country, um, especially when you look at the top. I mean, you have the number one receiver, number one running back, number one offensive guard, and the number three quarterback. You got 12 top 100 guys, five five stars. So, I mean, uh, it, it's top heavy, but it's also when you look at it throughout the uh, – from top to bottom, it's one of the most complete halls that you're going to find. So um, just, I guess, overall impressions of Ryan Day showing that that dude can recruit. As you mentioned, there's a lot of star power in this class. Who are two or three of the guys in this class that you look at as guys who could make an early impact for the Buckeyes? Uh, I mean, the two obvious ones that I think are – I think Emeka Obuka and Trevion Henderson have a really good shot at, at starting, especially if um, if if Abuka does what I strongly believe he's going to, um, if he does enroll early, I know there's some uh, – he's still thinking about it. There's still decisions that have to be made really quickly. If he comes in for spring ball, I think he has a great shot at um, – even in a loaded receiver room, I think he has a great shot at, uh, at starting or at least making a big impact from day one next fall. Um, I really do think that Trevion Henderson, I, I think he, he does have a shot at, at uh, starting as a true freshman. And he believes, he told me uh, a few days ago that, yeah, I believe that I had the talent to start, but it's kind of all about uh, getting in here and actually, actually doing it, putting in the work. And I'll, uh, with those two guys, I think um, – they really do have that type of ceiling. Zach, you mentioned um, like when I what you, you mentioned earlier, like that run that they had in like that March period where the the dead period had just been instituted. And for some reason, they just decided to get commits every single day for about a two week <laughs> period. It felt like, but when you look back on it now, like it's weird because this isn't this isn't an early signing period where we really look at and we're like they won four battles late. Like it's not like they were in these deep battles late into it and 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 won three or four of them at the end. Like the Abuka one's obvious, and, and of course they're going to still chase after JT. Um, but like which of these commitments do you think is the most impressive? Like which one do you look back at and you think, you know, they really put in work and, and you maybe didn't really expect that they would win this one, but they got it? I wouldn't say I didn't expect them to win it, but I mean the Abuka one, like as you said, I think that's by far the most impressive just because they had to keep up that – they did such early work with him um, so early in the process. I know uh, Colby Davis, his coach told me that uh, Brian Hartland was like one of the, one of the first coaches uh, to step foot in the steel of hallways. Brian day was the first he- uh, college head coach to step in inside those hallways. So just the, the amount of work that they put in from, from start to finish on that, like, and they kept, they kept up that relationship throughout the process that's by far the most impressive, but the other one is Jordan Hancock. I mean, getting him to flip from Clemson, I'm sure that a lot of people, you guys might agree with it, that getting that flip from Clemson was, I mean, it signaled probably the biggest win in this class, just, I guess, for what it, uh, what it did you, nationally, you know? Yeah, no, he was an interesting one because like for a lot of reasons, you don't like you see there, there are obviously flips every single year in the class, but for him, I mean, you had two things going there. I mean, one, you're flipping a guy from Clemson, which is right. – you don't really need that explanation there. I mean, just from a personal rivalry of Ohio State versus Clemson, that's a big deal. But also in the fact that, like, these are two teams over the next three or four years that are obviously going to be competing in the, in the national scene. 
but the number two thing, and I think is, you know, is interesting is like, that's a, that's Kerry Combs coming back. Like Kerry Combs comes back. You have Jordan Hancock, you have Kalen Johnson, you have Turrentine, Jansen Dunn, Denzel Burke. What have you sort of seen on, on Kerry Combs return and, and, you know, his, his ability to sort of replenish what this defensive backfield needs, because like, let's be honest, like, we're seeing what's going on in the in the secondary this season. Like it's certainly far from perfect, but it feels like at least in the 2021 class, they've got this thing back on the rails. Yeah, it just brought back instant credibility. I think that was the that was the quote that um, Legend Cavazza had told me um, when I talked to him after after the announcement. It was instant credibility. You bring back the reputation of one of the best cornerback developers in the country, one of the best cornerback recruiters, and it immediately. Uh, kicked off this run well almost immediately I guess kicked off this run um, that they had Jaqueline Johnson uh, Devontae Smith I know he eventually decommitted but then and then they got Andre Turrentine um, and you, you had Brian Hartline Matt Barnes Tony Alford you had these guys that were uh, supplemental recruiters um, kind of I don't, I don't want to say placeholders because that's not the right word but they were doing um, they were they were part of the relationship building uh, process, but then Kerry Combs, I do feel like he kind of came in as the finisher. I mean, he had uh, however many first round NFL draft picks. Now I can't remember uh, the number offhand um, during his first stint here. Yeah. No, yeah. Feels like it. Um, but the fact that he was able to come in, yeah, it just shows that they're going to be able to restock that room and it's not going to slow down. I mean, the 2022 class, and I think has a good shot at landing some, some really high caliber uh, guys at a defensive back, especially cornerback spot too. So I don't really see now that he's back in the, now, now that he's back in the program, I don't really see them slowing down at all in the near future, as long as he's there. You mentioned Emeka Buka. I mean, he was really the one guy in the weeks leading up to the signing day that we were wondering about. Now I think the guy everybody's wondering about is JT Tuomolowau. Can Ohio state go and get another top 10 prospect from the state of Washington? Where do you think things stand with him in terms of how likely the Buckeyes are to get him on the February signing day? And is there anybody else that you think Ohio State could potentially bring in in February? Yeah, well, first off, I think they're I think they're in great standing right now with JT. I mean, everything I've heard, everything I've read is that um, it, him and Larry Johnson very uh, similar, like minded personalities, and we're seeing how that worked with the with the Abuka recruitment of uh, how the like minded personality of between Brian Hartline and uh, Abuka really helped out in that recruitment. Um, and I think Larry Johnson's propensity for NFL development and putting guys in the first round of the draft, I think that's um, right at the forefront of JT's recruitment. And then when you have Omeka and G. Scott Jr. and Sr. now, that Washington connection, there's some, there's familiarity, there's comfort there. And I know that they're going to be working on uh, JT quite a bit over the next couple months. Um, and as far as anyone else, there, I know I've, I've heard Rajon Davis isn't uh, he, the LSU commit. He's not going to be signing early. Um, he was thinking about, he was kind of going back and forth on whether or not he was, but if he's not going to sign early, then I do think that opens up the door for Ohio state to potentially uh, for Al Washington to um, get a national recruiting win there. So I think those are the only two guys you're really looking at. I know I've mentioned Terrence Rankle in the past, but, I mean, if he's about to sign with Pitt, so obviously um, 
times dwindling there. So really, I think those are the only two guys you're really looking at to potentially finish out this class. And, um, but if they don't get either of those guys, they're going to be completely happy with the 21 man hall. That's one of the best Ohio state recruiting classes of all time. Oh, I just wanted to say, Zach, how, how, how impressed are you that Dan is actually giving it a shot at saying JT's name? And we just went with JT. Yeah. I feel like that neat. Dan actually gave it a shot and I didn't even try and you didn't even try. I mean, that was at least impressive. That deserved a mention. I think at this point I'm I'm done trying at the JT to him allow. I think that's, I think that's like 90% accurate, but we'll, I've heard like four different pronunciations. Based on your analysis, it sounds like we're going to have to figure it out one way or another. You talked about Travion Henderson. You talked about Emeka Buka. You mentioned Donovan Jackson, Kyle McCord. I think we all expect Jack Sawyer to be a star defensive end at Ohio State. But who are maybe the hidden gems in this class, the guys who aren't being talked about enough that have a chance to be future stars at Ohio State? I always this question I always bring it back to Jansen Dunn because I feel like the only time that anyone ever talks about Jansen Dunn is when we talk about the the crazy one hour where he was committed to Oklahoma and then he flipped to Ohio State. I feel like that's what people uh, when they talk about him that's all they that's all they want to talk about. But the kid's a really good player. I mean, he's long. He has the uh, the numbers. I think I had him pulled up like his forty time is. Uh, shuttle, vertical, all these things. It's like athleticism is absolutely off the charts. Um, and I feel like, yeah, he's barely ranked in the top 200, I think. He's not even, yeah, so he's outside the top 200 right now, uh, number 203 overall. Um, he's the guy that I think, yeah, I've been kind of trying to um, carry the water for as someone that needs to be talked about a lot more. I know that the Ohio State staff really loves him. So him, um, and now Andre Turrentine, I know, Ohio State staff really loves him uh, for his potential to be sort of that cornerback safety hybrid, potentially that slot corner. So those two guys are – those are two that I'm going to be kind of tooting their horn um, over the next couple of years. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, Zach. We always appreciate uh, your insight, especially on a day like this. And uh, we'll have you back in the offseason to dig in a little bit deeper on these guys. All right. Sounds good, fellas. Thanks for having me. Lots, lots to like about this Ohio State uh, recruiting class uh, of 2021. He was telling us off air about how if you look at the ratings for this class, uh, you know, very similar uh, to the 2017 class, which we've talked about uh, so much with uh, Chase Young and, and Jeff Okuda and Wyatt Davis and, and Sean Wade and, and J.K. Dobbins all the stars Ohio State landed in that class. In this class, certainly when you look at it, looks like it has the potential to be that kind of class. No, it's, it's, it's on one hand, it's, it's not surprising at all because it's not like, it's not like we've looked at these guys and we're surprised that like Trayvon Henderson is signing. Like the guy's been committed now for like most of the year, like same with, you know, Jaden Ballard and, and, you know, Donovan Jackson, Kyle McCord and all these guys have been long-term commits. But like, if we be honest, if we step back and think about what we really thought about Ryan day, when he took over the program, you know, I think a realistic expectation was I, I remember talking to Gene Smith the day after and Gene Smith said, and I asked him like, what's the suit the expectation? And he like laughed. It's like the expectation doesn't change. And, you know, I, and in my head at the time, I was sort of like, you know, sort of what he has to say. And at the same time, how is Ryan day really going to keep up what Urban Meyer did because Urban Meyer took Ohio state into the 21st century and, and put it atop, college football is one of the three premier programs and what Ryan day has done on their recruiting trail 
is astounding to me. I mean, you can't really ask for anything better than what he's doing. He is, he has made the correct assistant coach hires uh, who are, who are going out and killing it at their own position group. He himself has turned, you know, the quarterback recruiting into either the best or second best in the country. If you want to have a debate with Oklahoma, like it's Ohio state and Oklahoma is number one and number two, it feels like at least right now. Um, And beyond that, like, if you just look at this class in totality, there are very few areas where you look at it and you're like, ah, you know, maybe they could have gotten this other guy. Like this is a complete class. And you know what else is really impressive about this class is you think of the climate we've been in this year where nobody's been able to visit since March. And it's just been such an unusual year for recruiting. And, you know, predictably because of that, we've seen around the country uh, quite a lot of decommits here down the stretch, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys uh, decommitting, flipping, you know, at the last minute, which you might expect in a year like this, where, you know, things are so different and and you don't have the opportunity to get these guys on campus, but we've really seen none of that with Ohio state in this 2021 class. I mean, it's been a pretty drama free build up to signing day, you know, even with a Mecca Buka, you know, he didn't make his decision until Friday, but it just felt like Ohio State was always in a good place with him uh, throughout the process. And that's really the way it felt with most of these guys. But it, 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 it was, you know, obviously Jordan Hancock, the flip from Clemson, like Zach mentioned. But for the most part, it just felt like Ohio State was able to get in a great place with these guys. And, and they just made it solid. And you really didn't hear any rumors at all with any of these guys, really, uh, about them potentially – you know, decommitting or not being solid in their commitment. So I think that's a testament uh, to Ryan Day and Mark Pantone and this entire staff for just how good a job they've done of keeping up those relationships in a year where, you know, they can't have anybody on campus. And really for them, they're even at more of a disadvantage because at at least at a school like Oklahoma or, you know, Clemson or some of these schools in the South where fans are able to attend games, they can't have official visitors. They can't actually have contact with these guys on campus, but these guys can at least go to games. These guys can at least go get a feel for, for what a game day is like by sitting in the stands. Ohio state wasn't even able to do that this year. So the fact that they've still were able to put together this kind of class and keep it together all year long. I, I think it's a job well done by Ohio state. Uh, and, you know, certainly, you know, that starts with Ryan Day. A lot of the credit for that also certainly has to go to Mark Pantone and his recruiting staff, who does so much of that day-to-day legwork. Yeah, I think just to make one more point is, you know, we, we, we talked a lot about in the past few months, not in the past few months really, but over the summer about, you know, Ohio State's strategy of going inside the state, locking down the best guys inside the state and extending outward. And I think that that, like, unintentionally was a really good thing to do this class specifically because you had those guys in Ohio locked down who were sort of just the flag bearers for the program throughout a period of time where a lot of guys couldn't visit Columbus at all. I mean, there were only a couple of guys who really took their, took a trip up to Columbus um, who were uncommitted on their own dime just to check it out. Um, that didn't really happen a lot of the time. And I think that, I think that it really helped to have those guys out in front of the Jack Sawyers of the world who really said like, this is the place to be. You can, you can, you can trust that good things are going to happen in Columbus. I think I've made it clear that, you know, Jack Sawyer is a guy that I have really high expectations for. I think, you know, everybody does as a five-star, but uh, who's one guy to you, Colin, that you look at in this class that you're just really excited to see play at Ohio state. 
Now, I mean, there's a there. I mean, listen, it's an unbelievable class. So like you could almost make it, I mean, you could really make a case for anybody. I mean, I'll just say since, since I actually went to see him, you know, Mike Hall is a guy who flies under the radar and, and like for literally almost every other single class in the country, that wouldn't be the case. Because if you look at his rating, you know, out of streets, bro, he's the number 49 overall player in the country, the fourth best defensive tackle in the country. You almost never hear people talking about him. You really don't. Um, I went and saw him play. You know, if I remember correctly, I think he's in D3 Ohio uh, high school football. And I just got to say, like, it was like, it was like putting me in like second grade football. <laughs> like it was unbelievable. I mean, he, he did not, the, the, I, I almost felt bad for the players who were across from him. I mean, he played both sides of the ball, never came out. He scored a touchdown in the game I was at. I'm pretty sure he had double digit pancakes on, as an offensive lineman. I mean, he had multiple sacks and I was there. It was just, it was, it was an unbelievable showing. So, you know, he's not someone who I think it's talked about a lot, but if you look at him, you know, I mean, he's not, he's not like, he's not the most physically impressive guy, but he is just super productive. He's super explosive. Um, I mean, he's going to be a really, really good three technique for, for Ohio state down the line. And, you know, people don't really talk about it, say his name very often. Another guy for me, Jaden Ballard, I think it's overshadowed a little bit just because of how ridiculous the wide receiver uh, recruiting has been. And, you know, certainly, you know, Mecca Buka is coming in with really high expectations, but Jaden Ballard's a guy that I, I, I really think is going to have a great career at Ohio State, too. I mean, it's it's the low-hanging fruit comparison because they both went to the same high school, and it's a really easy comparison to make. But I just keep seeing Devin Smith and, and Jaden Ballard uh, just as a guy who uh, can really be a deep threat, uh, stretch the field, uh, does an excellent job of, of tracking the ball in, in the air and, and, and making the tough catch. Uh, he's a guy for all the talent in this Ohio State uh, receiver room that's coming in. Uh, he, he's just the guy that I'm going to have my eye on here over the next two to three years who, who I think can emerge as an impact player in that room. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, I mean, we, we can spend an hour just look, looking at what Ohio state has coming down the line. And, and we will in the off season <laughs> because that wide receiver room is absolutely nuts. All right. So we're going to, change up three things we think a little bit here this week uh feel like we've maybe made that segment a little longer than it needs to be so instead of doing each of us doing three things we think we're going to just do three things we think combined so i'll start and then colin can go and then we can see who who wants to jump into the third thing but i'm going to start with this you know nothing confirmed yet in terms of you know who's gonna be you know, going to the NFL next year or coming back for the extra year of eligibility. And so, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out here uh, when the season ends. But I did think it was interesting that when Ohio State did its virtual senior day on Saturday, that Haskell Garrett was not among the players who was honored, which to me, uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. But to me, that would indicate that at least he wants to leave that door open for potentially coming back for an additional senior year next year. And that would be huge for Ohio state. That would be a really uh, great thing for Ohio state if he made that decision, because I mean, I think he, I think, you know, he is a guy who's really helped himself as an NFL prospect this year. I saw uh, Jim Nagy from the senior bowl put out a tweet just a few days ago that had him as one of the, uh, biggest stock risers of the year with the way he's played. So I think he's a guy who's 
absolutely legitimized himself as an NFL prospect. And, you know, Tommy Togiai has too. I mean, he's a guy that's also going to have a decision to make here uh, after the season. But, you know, we, we, we talked a lot in the off season about, you know, some of the limited depth there at defensive tackle and, you know, maybe they, maybe they've had a couple of recruiting classes where maybe they haven't quite gotten what they've needed at defensive tackle. And, you know, I think that's eventually, you know, you just talked about Mike Hall. I, I think eventually that's going to, you know, all come together and they're going to be fine. And, and Larry Johnson's going to do a great job developing the guys that are coming in. But if they could get another year of Haskell Garrett, and especially if they can get another year of, of Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai next year, I mean, you, you'd be talking about, you know, I think has quietly been one of the best defensive tackle tandems in the entire country. Uh, that would be an excellent boon for Ohio State if they managed to get both those guys back for another year. I always just sort of assumed that this would be Haskell Garrett's last year, even, Me too. you know, when we when we heard that the NCAA was going to institute uh, the the ability for, for seniors to come back next year, even, you know, even before I knew the kind of season that he's had. And now that he's having this kind of year, I mean, I was, I just fully assumed that he would be gone. So, you know, I did think it was interesting too. I mean, it's hard to know just how much you can read into those, but you know, it, I think your, I think your point is correct. It's worth noting. I mean, if I was an Ohio state fan, I would be happy if I got either Haskell Garrett or uh, Tommy Togai back and just absolutely thrilled if I got both back. And, but I do think that, you know, there is an understanding that it's possible they lose both of them. And that would be, that would be really hard for, for Ohio State to overcome next year. And we can have those conversations <laughs> down the line. Colin, what's on your mind? My second thing that I've been thinking about, you know, it's just so funny to me uh, when, when these all big 10 teams come out, you know, there's a, there's obviously every time you see something like that come out, there's, there's all kinds of opinions and whatnot. But my favorite thing is is when I watch every single Ohio State game and the Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year is Wyatt Davis, and I think he's the third best offensive lineman on Ohio State's roster this year. Like it's just it's so funny to me. But but it's I, I remember having this conversation on the podcast last year. Do you remember how like what is it Cole Kubelik? How do you say his name from the SEC Network? You know that guy? Yeah, I know what you're talking. I'm not sure if it's. I think it's Kubelik, but I'm yeah. Not okay, so so that guy tweeted out a video last year that went viral of Wyatt Davis just mauling somebody, and all of a sudden he was a first team All American. And I wasn't 100 percent sure if he was the best offensive guard on Ohio State's team. And now that he has that first team All American, you know, by his name, like he can walk into this year and and be the Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year when I don't think he's been their best offensive lineman on the team. Uh, I just think that evaluating offensive linemen on those all big team, 10 teams is hilarious because, like, when you look at how is Nick Petit Ferrer not on any of the media's all big 10 teams, like, that's insane to me. I mean, clearly he and Thayer Munford, and at least in my opinion, have been the best two offensive linemen on the team. So I just get a kick out of all big 10 offensive line teams because, like, we can all be honest, like, as media members, I didn't have a vote. If I did vote, I wouldn't know what in the world to do with the offensive line. It's not like I've been grinding film of Illinois' O-line or something like that. Yeah, I think it was – I'm double-checking here. I think it was actually – let me check in here. No, you, you were right. I, 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 for some reason, I thought it was the opposite with uh, Petit Frere being on the media and not on the coaches. But, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that he wasn't – on uh, even on the second or third team for uh, all big 10 by the media. Cause I think he 
I think personally he has been Ohio State's best offensive lineman this year, that first-year starter at right tackle. And, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I was a voter last year. Uh, Ohio State uh, rotates who its voters are, so I was last year. I wasn't this year. Uh, but voting on the offensive lineman is by far the toughest because there there's no stats to go off. And unless you've really been, you know, you know, I, I, I like to think like I have a pretty good idea of who the best players are at each position. But, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm, especially the teams at Ohio State didn't play, like I'm just not really watching their film during the season. So, it, it, you know, I think offensive line because of that, especially on the media ballots, tend to be reputation awards and you know, that's why Wyatt Davis won the award is because you know, he's a reigning first team All-American who had this reputation of being one of the best offensive linemen in the country. And so I think a lot of people just voted for him by default. And, you know, I mean, I think the other thing too, like the reality is like, it's really hard to pick all big 10 this year because there's so few games to go off and some guys have played more games than others. And it just makes it that much more difficult to really evaluate who the best players on the conference are. So I think this year more than ever, these tend to be reputation awards and, you know, the guys who are the most well-known players uh, tend to be the guys who ultimately win those awards. Yeah. I guess maybe next year will be uh Nick Petit Frere's shot at offensive lineman of the year. Could be, could be him or yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he's probably going to be right up there as one of those top guys is you know if if we assume you know josh myers and wyatt davis were both in the senior day honorees on on saturday which would tell me that both of them are going to be gone after this year so certainly uh nicholas petit frere and, and harry miller who was also a, a third team selection which honestly I, I don't know that he's he really should be an all big 10 guy right now but certainly not uh certainly a guy i think you look at the next year is a guy you'd think as he has a year of starting experience under his belt is going to be a guy that's going to uh, contend for those kind of honors. I have a third thing we think if, if you don't have one, go for it. All right. So I think it's, I think it's apt to to bring this up right now, but you know, I am on one hand impressed by Ohio state and their ability to, you know, make this happen. And on the other hand, impressed by Kyle McCord for actually, sticking with Ohio state and, and writing this thing out because when he looks at the situation ahead of him, you know, it's CJ Stroud and Jack Miller right now. And then it's Quinn Ewers after him. And essentially he's going to have to go in there and either beat them out for a starting job as a true freshman or sit on the bench for two years. Pro- hope, hope that those wh- whoever wins the starting job goes to the NFL after, after two years and then beat out Quinn Ewers. And like, man, I don't know. Like that is that is a challenge. That is that is really, really, really difficult. And you know, I'm impressed that Ohio State is. You know, they held on to both Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud last year. They held on to C, to, to Kyle McCord. You know, this cycle, they're going to get their pick of who's the best of the three. And I think that from Ohio State perspective, that's great. From Kyle McCord's perspective, I would have fully understood if he was like, you know what, I'm going to open this thing up and see what else there is out there because he's walking into a really difficult situation. I'm, you know, I'm impressed that he's actually doing it. You know, I really hope that these, these COVID vaccines work and things get back to normal and we actually get to go to some Ohio State practices next year because these quarterback battles coming up are going to be absolutely fascinating to watch. I mean, you know, you go into next year, you know, unless Ohio State absolutely blows the doors off Northwestern and has the opportunity to put 
backups in early uh, this weekend. Most likely neither CJ Stroud nor Jack Miller is going to throw a pass in a game this year. And then you've got a five-star coming in in Kyle McCord. And then, oh yeah, you've got a guy in Quinn Ewers who right now is rated as a 1.000 in the 24-7 sports composite rankings, which is the highest possible rating you can get. So, I mean, Quinn Ewers is a guy, I don't care how next year goes, Quinn Ewers is going to be a guy who comes in in 2022, and he is going to make a push immediately for playing time because that's how good he is. So, I mean, the reality is this. Out of those four guys, at least two are going to finish their career elsewhere. I mean, that's the reality. Uh, I think of the three that are going to be there next year, at least one is going to be gone by 2022 and quite possibly two of them will be gone by 2022 because that's, that's just the reality of a situation, especially with it looking like the transfers are now going to be allowed for everybody without sitting out. There's no chance you're going to be able to hold on to these guys, but the good news is you are, you are some, like you said, it's an assembly line of talent where you are bringing in, a bunch of guys who all have the potential to be your next superstar quarterback. And a couple of them might go on to be Joe Burrow. A couple of them might transfer somewhere else and go be superstars somewhere else. That's just the way it works. But you, you, you look ahead to next year between CJ Stroud, Jack Miller and Kyle McCord, you know, there's every reason to be confident that at least one of those guys is going to pan out is going to be a great quarterback for Ohio state. And then, oh, yeah, you've got Quinn Ewers coming in. So you're right. I mean, you're right. I mean, if Kyle McCord had decided, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to get to play at Ohio State. I should just go sign elsewhere. I wouldn't have blamed him one bit, but I also really respect him as a competitor for coming in, seeing what he can do. And you know what? I think because of the way the transfer rules are changing, I don't think it's a bad decision for these guys because I think you come in, you're going to get developed by Ryan Day. You're going to have a chance to maybe be the starting quarterback of an absolutely loaded offense. And if it doesn't pan out, other power programs are going to want you. I mean, all these guys, you get that development of Ryan Day, you were a top recruit. You're going to be able to go somewhere else and probably have a chance to start immediately if it doesn't pan out at Ohio State. So I, you know, I, I think you know, that works in Ohio State's favor and that I think you're going to be able to get guys as long as you're giving them a chance to compete. Guys are still going to have that reason to want to come be Buckeyes. But, you know, I think Ryan Day and Corey Dance, I think they're well aware of the reality that you're not going to keep all these guys forever. That a couple of these guys are going to end up going and playing somewhere else. And that's just the way it is. But you don't want to bring in guys just to be backups. You want to bring in guys who want to be your next Justin Fields, your next Dwayne Haskins. And the more guys you bring in who have the potential to be that, the more likely you are to actually get that next guy. AKA Ohio State's in a great spot and everything is just dandy in Columbus. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but I'll say it, I'll still say it again. Saturday is probably going to either be the second or third to last time we get to watch Justin Fields play in an Ohio State uniform. So enjoy it. Appreciate it. Don't take it for granted because all these guys are great, but Justin Fields is is absolutely special and we need to enjoy every game that 
uh, he plays before he moves on to be most likely a top two pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Yeah. And he's the reason why I think I am probably in to some people like uncomfortably confident about this game. <laughs> like I'm, I'm hundred percent sure that some people are going to be like, why are you so confident going into the big 10 title games? Like, well, good luck slowing down Justin Fields. I mean, that's the thing I've always come back to. Well, if, if Ohio state loses on Saturday, uh, we will both have uh, crow in our mouths and uh, most likely you'll all be a lot of sad listeners uh, next week. But if not, I have a feeling we will be talking about a college football playoff matchup and starting to preview that. So uh, thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of real pod Wednesdays. And we hope you'll all join us again next week.